No, because every time I feel a bit better, I think that I'm faking it. And every time I feel shit, I just feel shit. So, <laughs> so. What do you do when you're dealing with a physical illness that defies modern science? The kind of illness that is clearly debilitating, and yet some days still makes you feel like it might just be all in your head. This is exactly what Honor, my Big Feels co-pilot, has been dealing with in a big way over the past year. Specifically, chronic fatigue. Now, when this first hit, neither one of us really knew what that was, or if it was even a real thing. But boy, did we learn a lot very quickly. We recorded this episode about six months ago, so before the pandemic hit, and right when Honor was really in the thick of figuring out what the hell is even going on for her. This one's a discussion with Honor and me and our regular Big Feels guest, Gareth Edwards, who, as you'll hear, has had his own experience of chronic fatigue, which really changed his life about a decade ago. Now, it's been about six months since we had this conversation you're about to hear, so we will check in with Honor. Listen for that at the end of this episode. Okay, here we go. <laughs> oh, dear. Hello and welcome to the Big Feels Club podcast. I have with me Honor Eastley. Hello. Far from the microphone. We'll get to why in a second. I also have with me Gareth Edwards. Hello. In person, live in the flesh. From across the ditch. But he's just across the table. Yeah. Yeah, I'm fully dressed, I think it's important to say. I'm not <laughs> oh, in I the see. flesh right <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, sure. But we're going to peel away those layers metaphorically sure. in today's session. Session. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining me. Yeah. So today's ep is called So, So Tired. <laughs> we're going to talk about <laughs> chronic fatigue. Yay. Uh, we're so, so tired. We actually debated on doing this podcast whilst lying down. We realised we didn't quite have the recording set up required. Yeah. We'll get there. So how long have you been feeling this way? Well, it's funny because I don't even like to sort of say it because I know so many people don't think chronic fatigue is real, including <coughs> the first GP I saw. So that's why I just... It's not a term I've completely adopted yet, if that makes sense. Whatever we call it, for the past few months you've been feeling like shit. Yeah. Gareth, you have uh, your own personal first-hand experience of this very journey. Yes, yes. When was that? Around about 2010. I mean, I guess like most things, it's, you know, there's the bit where you go, oh, fuck, this is real, now I have to do something about it. Yeah. And then you go, oh, this was probably sort of, you know, ramping up to this for quite a while. But 2010 was, was the year of chronic fatigue. And we're sort of interested in exploring this from a few angles. I guess the idea of chronic fatigue, which seems to, and whatever you want to call it, seems to affect sensitive cats in fairly great numbers. Yeah, maybe if we maybe if we gave it a wider net, I mm. think you know generations before us would have spoke of exhaustion, yeah. or nervous exhaustion, yeah. burnout, stress, strain. I think they're all in the very similar ballpark. I yeah. think there's a certain set of experiences that get cobbled together when you talk about things like chronic fatigue, ME slash CFS slash adrenal fatigue, uh, adrenal stress fatigue. Feeling a bit 
fucked. Feeling a bit fucked. So that's the general topic. How did you sort of realise you... That, that's, that, that we say, like, there's a point where you realise, oh, this is actually happening. Like, what, what was the... Yeah, it was pretty stark for me. And I know this is something that, that me and Honor have spoke about in the past. So for me, I realised that around about 11.30, every Friday night, I'd find myself in an emergency department convinced I was having a heart attack. Wow. And at about 11.35, they would tell me, no, Mr. Edwards, you're having a panic attack. And I'd be like, no, I've had panic attacks. (laughs) (laughs) This is not a panic attack. This is a heart attack. And it got to the point where I'd done this a few weeks in a row, often on a Friday. Friday night was kind of like the classic. Yeah, and the end of the working week and such. And yeah, I think that was part of it. And then there was one particular night where I'd managed to get to bed on a Friday night and then woke the whole family up and said, no, it is real this time. And we had to go to a different place because the emergency department shuts at 12 where we were. So we had to drive to a hospital and I was effectively saying goodbye to my son and my my partner. Jesus. Absolutely convinced this was it. So convincing was I that as I shuffled into the hospital in my pyjamas and bathrobe, even they took me seriously and started taking blood tests and admitting me into the, you know, the acute ward and blah, blah. Wow. And of course, it was a panic attack. <laughs> and was this happening, you say every week? I reckon it happened at least five or six weeks. There was definitely a good four or five that were on the on the bounce, like Friday after Friday after Friday. It would happen. Typically, I'd brush my teeth. I'd get a funny taste in my mouth. Did the whole hypochondria thing. There's something wrong with me. Get myself worked up. And then normally, like, look at the what. Like, the first few times, my partner was like, right, we need to get you to the emergency department. But about the fourth time, she's like, look, if you go now, you'll catch them. I'm not taking you. So I'd have to drive (laughs) myself convinced I was having a heart attack to the the emergency department. What was really fascinating, and this, this, this is what I mean, me and Honor spoke about this, is there was no psychological terror. Like, sure, I was concerned. Huh. I thought I was dying. Yeah. Genuinely thought I was dying. And I think that's quite common, particularly amongst men of a certain age. So I would have been in right about your age. <laughs> I would have been sort of mid, late 30s, which is kind of classic for men to start worrying that they're, they're dying all the time. Oh, I'm way ahead on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you Early adopter. Quick study, quick study. But there was no psychological terror, so there was no morbid thoughts beyond the thought that I might be dying. There was no kind of rumination. There was no what I call the psychologicals. Mm. It was all a physiological feeling, which is why I was so convinced it was a heart attack. And that's because for you, the psychologicals is something you were very familiar with by that point. Yeah, so when I had you know, anxiety and panic attacks in my 20s, they started with the psychologicals. So yeah. I'd, I'd yeah, start yeah, ruminating, yeah. I'd start, and then the heart rate would go, and then the breathing, and mm. it, then it became physiological. Yep. Whereas this was just like, so, oh my god. So this was something different. What it reminds me of is when Honor and I went to the GP to try and get some answers when you were first really realizing that what you thought was a flu was not going away. Mm. Two or three sessions in, I remember you and I we kept sort of strategizing between the sessions with the GP as we're doing blood tests and all the rest of it, how honest to be. Mm. And, and we do this a lot, like no matter what we're going to see the GP for, either one of us, because we, we often bring the other as like a support person. And whether it's for mental health stuff or health stuff, there's always the question of how much... What's the story we're telling today? Yeah. Is, this, is this like date night for you guys? Oh. <laughs> Look, it's not quite a restaurant and a nice bottle of wine, but, you know, some of the more modern waiting areas. Bit of, bit, bit of Good quality, magazines. Bit of quality time. Absolutely. 
So this one was interesting because often with the mental health ones, it's really clear, don't tell them anything, right? <laughs> nice and simple because if I tell them everything, yeah. they're going to freak out. Whereas with the health stuff, it's like, well, I kind of want them to have all the info. Mm. But what we knew would happen, particularly because this GP early on said nice and clearly, I don't believe chronic fatigue is a real thing. Um, Which what, to, I actually found helpful. Sure. Because I knew where she stood. Yeah. Go and see a different GP. Helpful. Well, I just, I, at that point, I didn't know what I thought. Absolutely. But I knew what she thought. Yeah. <laughs> but nonetheless, you still didn't tell her about your experiences with mental health stuff, which I think was wise because even, even without any of that, she had decided pretty early on that it was a psycho- psychological thing. So yeah. she, her answer was go and see a psychologist. Yeah. And what was interesting was that on the one hand, you wanted to be like, no, 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 I've been through that. I know this is something different. But on the only hand, if I tell her that, she'll be even more convinced it's a psychological thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was, that, was, that was the same for me. So I'd be in the ED going, look, I've had panic attacks. I had a diagnosis of bipolar in my 20s. I know what a panic attack is. This is not a panic attack. Yeah. So it, it was kind of humbling to realise it was a panic attack. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what was really nice. So the guy who came around, so basically the heart specialist, you know, the cardiologist came around in the morning because I was on the heart ward by now. I said goodbye to my son and my partner and they'd gone home and I was on my own in this in this little cubicle and he came around in the morning, very old school sort of consultant. And, um, you know, he did what they all did, which is to say, yeah, you've, you've had a panic attack, we've done the blood tests. There's none of the enzymes you'd get if there was a, a mm. heart attack and all the rest of it. Yeah. Spoke to me about abdominal breathing and you know, being in control of my breath. But what was really nice is he was old school enough to not do it with any judgment. Yeah. Like clearly he'd been telling people who'd been freaking out for decades that they weren't having a heart attack. Yeah. And he had a very gentle bedside manner that made me go, okay, I feel like I've spoke to the guy who knows mm. and this is panic. Mm. And even though I haven't got a frame of reference for this kind of panic, yeah. I've, you, know, you know, when you meet that one person in a, in a, in a public sector system that makes it sound okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, so, there's so much of the health system is the kind of theatre of someone being in control. And often that can be used in a way that doesn't reassure you in any way. Yeah. But when someone uses that power for reassurance, it's, it's a powerful yeah. thing. I'm curious, though, so you... So it was panic, but then there was obviously this physical component. So what was that? Where did it go from there? Well, so then, and again, I think I think Honor and I have spoke about this. Then you're left in this sort of like, well, what is going on? Yeah. yeah. Because a little like the the mental health stuff, you know, there's, the system's got very little for you. It's like there is no thing that I can. There's no surgery I can do. There's no pill I can give you. This is essentially, like most of health conditions, primarily lifestyle that you have to adjust. So there was other stuff going on for you, aside from the kind of weekly panicking? There was. That, that was, yeah. So there was definitely exhaustion. Yeah. Like bog standard, like I'd come back from a working day, mm. get into bed at sort of just after tea time, would sleep all the way through to sort of normal bedtime, like 11 midnight, get up, brush my teeth, go back to bed. Mm. Weekends... Weekends, I prayed for weekends. I'd get into bed at like six on a Friday and you wouldn't see me till Monday morning. Wow. You know, I'd just be up, maybe eat a little, shower, back to bed. Mm. And I thought I was just working too hard. Yeah. Which I obviously was. Mm. And that sustained working too hard 
was probably part of what was you know generating this 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 complete exhaustion mm. i think the cruelest thing is i could still turn it on if i had to yeah mm. yeah that's one of the things that's been interesting because we have to sort of do less than you feel like you can do so that you don't the the advice is anyway so you don't go over the edge and then crash but um I'm not used to being that careful with myself. <laughs> and it's kind of awkward to explain to people. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're like, well, you look fine. Yeah. Um, but you're like, I need to leave. <laughs> and so it's quite, it's just quite tricky to even just explain like where your boundaries are to people because people just wouldn't. I think it is if, if you're trying to get them to understand. Yeah. You know, and again, I think this has got real parallels in mental health as well. Like there was, there seems to be this myth for as long as I can remember. If we could only get people to understand how hard it is to Mm. be unusual or feel things big or be exhausted or whatever, then that, that will make everything right. And, and sure, that'd be great. But I think the first thing we have to do is to get people to accept it. So rather than, you know, we've had this conversation about how you sort of, what would we call it, ditch, delay, and delegate as much of your life as you can. The three Ds. The three Ds. No, with the fourth D. But not the fourth D. Oh, okay. For context, the three Ds are? Ditch, delay, and delegate. And where did that come from? My mouth. Yeah. (laughs) Why did you tell that to Anna? Because at some point you've got to grapple with you are doing too much. That is definitely a contributing factor. So that was Gareth's first prescription when Anna first came to him saying, I am exhausted all the time, all of a sudden, for no obvious reason. The fourth D is... Disappoint people. Yeah. (laughs) Which is really absolute key ingredient of the recipe. Yeah, except I wouldn't have it. Go on. Well, because there's no disappointment. (laughs) There's disappointment because you think it's going to be disappointing for them. Yeah. And that's you trying to second guess their response to what you have to do. Yeah. Well, one of the, the things I have noticed is how much people just don't give a, don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> like in a in a good way though. Yeah. Like sometimes in a sad way. Yeah. Of like, oh, no one cares. But sometimes just in a like, oh, no, no one gives a shit about this thing. The truth is, no one ever wants to go to a meeting. So if you're cancelling on them, <laughs> you're doing the Lord's work. Zooming out a bit, so Anna, you're about, what, six months into this? No, it was in, like, the start of August. Okay, so that is... (laughs) (laughs) This is the sixth month. (laughs) The uh, mathematical function is one of the early signs of chronic fatigue. (laughs) And and really going from being, uh, how can I put this politely, annoyingly productive, I say this as your collaborator and boyfriend, to being, and also someone myself who's quite lazy, to being, um, <laughs> for a while there, you were talking about having one good hour a day. Yeah. Is that about where you're at still? I don't fucking know, man. <laughs> <laughs> Define good. <laughs> well, my dad said that to me the other day. He was like, glad to see that you're good. And I was like, I'm not good. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm I, sorry I, to have misled yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> so some of this comes back to that, I think, 
This is why it's not disappointment. Like people around you have to accept that you've got less to give. Yeah. We assume that's going to be disappointing to them. Yeah. I would say the thing that you're saying about people have to understand, I don't, yeah, I don't think so. That's what I'm saying. I, like, they, yeah, they, they don't have to understand. I, yeah. don't think that, I don't think that understanding is the most important ingredient. Maybe like caring would be helpful. Acknowledging. Acknowledging, caring. Well, accept, but you don't, accepting is the word that I, I normally go yeah. for. It's like you have to accept I'm not doing this work or this project or attending that function. Yeah. If you need an explanation from me, I'm happy to give you one and it's quite complex, but the first thing you have to do is accept that it's not happening. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that I, is I, I've sort of had the privilege of listening into you to talk about this and the, and the, the beauty of, of <laughs> having someone close to us who's already someone we go to for guidance who's then like, oh, yeah, I had that for a year as well. Here's my 10-point plan. That was pretty useful. Um, <laughs> shout out to peer support. But one of the things you said to Anna very early on when she came to you was, have you stopped fighting it yet? Yeah. And so to me there's this whole thing, before anyone else can accept it, is where are you with accepting it? Yeah. And I don't know what that's like with this particular experience but certainly I've got my own chronic health and big feel stuff that there's such a layer of judgment about and I'm constantly wrestling as to whether I can accept it or not. So I'm curious, like, how would you answer that question now? Have you stopped fighting it yet? Um, look, I'm like, I'm currently at the phase of like, am I depressed? Because if I am... I haven't been depressed in this way before, so similar to the panic attacks. Mm. I'm just like, this is... Because usually I'm anxious depressed. Yeah. So I'm... And my way of dealing with that is to do lots of stuff. Because mm-hmm. I'm very panicky. But now I'm like, am I well-adjusted or am I depressed? I can't quite tell. So is this like depression without the, without the anxiety? Yeah, depression <laughs> The anxiety. So like the panic without the terror for me. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, sort of like <laughs> kind of just being a bit a bit moody and sad, but I'm not like in existential angst, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I mean, we, we spoke about this, Em, it's an absolute crude distinction. And, you know, if we had more time, I think we could unpack it. But there is that, that difference between... I'm feeling down, depressed, or low mood, or flat because something horrible is happening to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm feeling down, depressed, and flat because I've stared into the universe and it's a void. <laughs> Which is more where I'm at. That's a separate <laughs> podcast. Um, I, I liked what you guys came up with about this when you were chatting about it recently. There's like this idea that this is a kind of leveling up. So, like, both of you have had multiple periods of being deep in Doomtown in that more traditional way mm. of life is meaningless, what am I doing with myself? And then this, this version, this kind of chronic fatigue kind of breakdown is almost, you were talking about as like a levelling up because at least you don't want to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like 
I mean, you, you say it, you say, you know, you've, you're well equipped for this, this journey. Oh, uh, I, <laughs> I mean, to like put other people at ease when I tell them what's going on, I say, it's fine. I think all of my experience of the mental health system has perfectly equipped me <laughs> for dealing with this thing, which I, it kind of, it really has like, cause this part, I make no assumptions that other parts of physical health are more clear but this part seems particularly murky. Mm. Like the response from GPs, the types of responses you would get from GPs is such a broad spectrum from people saying this isn't real to people, you know, who are like, I've been seeing a great GP who it turns out has, has had a similar experience and then could refer me to lots of, like give me a lot of really useful information. And the fact that I've just been through this a, a system that doesn't feel like it's very useful sometimes uh means that when I go through it in a different way I'm like I don't expect you to be immediately useful <laughs> 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 even if I'm <laughs> yeah um so I would like self-advocate more than I would have if I hadn't already had to do that Mm. so much in some other arena but even then like a lot of it in the beginning was I was just like I'm so full of shit like I'm just like making it up I still feel that I still like I haven't quite gotten rid of that right so you are you still fighting (laughs) (laughs) short answer still fighting like so what's been helpful was that I got diagnosed with like an orthostatic intolerance thing which basically means my body is intolerant to standing up (laughs) what's actually really helpful about that diagnosis is there's a really clear way of getting feedback about what's happening because what happens is that when I'm vertical my heart rate goes up a crazy amount so I have a heart rate monitor like wristwatch thing Mm. and so I can just see all the time of like Oh, yep. Still have the thing. It's a real thing. Yeah. It's happening. So if you're Googling along at home for your own uh, hypochondria or real health needs, <laughs> uh, that's POTS, P-O-T-S, post postural orthostatic uh, tachycardia syndrome. Yeah. Yay. Yes. Boyfriend of the year. Yes. And that's really closely associated with chronic fatigue. It's a big soup. It's a big soup. It is a big soup and there's only really one ladle. <laughs> like like all of this like i've got a friend who does heaps of stuff in in what they call medically unexplained symptoms Ooh. Uh, which is basically like that we don't know yeah which is which is far more common yeah like I, I, i've worked with a gp back in new zealand who always used to say publicly i don't know if she ever wrote it down 70 to 80 percent of what comes through the door in general practice they've got no idea yeah you know and you know, we can bitch and moan about the health system not being the, the be-all and end-all. But I think when we get these experiences, the big soup, it's like, right, this is, this is the opportunity. The flip side is this is the opportunity to build a lifestyle that supports my constitution. So let's go there. What, yeah, did, that's what did you do? Gareth, what did you change about your life? I would say I changed uh, just about everything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so... And this is, this is my approach. And I think everyone's got to find their own way. I'm quite a dramatic boots and all kind of character. So when it became clear to me that there was no way I could sort of 
push myself through this experience. Well, you know? I thought that worked. <laughs> well, we, we have the, the, the living experiment in front of us. Yeah, the control. Stay tuned. Control. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good name for her, the control. <laughs> um, I think as well, because this is very similar you know, to stuff that I talk about in the book I wrote, The Procrastinator's Guide to Killing Yourself, around surrendering. And so my experience of navigating the mental health experiences I had in my 20s was to essentially surrender to them and allow them to be what they needed to be. Mm. And that was huge lifestyle change as well. So when this came around a bit, like you said, Honor, you know, you feel really well equipped. My go-to was like, okay, well, we'll just stop doing everything that's making it bad and find what else there is beyond that. Because at the time you were nine to fiving pretty hardcore. Oh, I'd probably do 70, 80 hour a week. You know, in that kind of real prime of your career kind of phase that you know what you're good at, you know what makes you money. I had three main jobs. Mm. So I ran my own consultancy. I was running a, a charity, a mental health charity, and I'd started a computer startup software <laughs> development company. <laughs> just on the side. Yeah, so I'd, you know, and classically, you know, all that comes just as I had a young family, just bought a house so it was you know eyeball deep in mortgages like it all comes together mm. at the same time. I, yeah and i think for a lot of us that's that's what happens it's like boom 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 all these big life things happen and like the mysterious bit is they'll offer say oh you must have had a virus yeah that opened the window for this 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 syndrome or this set of uh, experiences and now you're debilitated mm. so when that came i remember thinking well for me, I know I know my range. Mm. I know if I push this, I'm going to end up either really, really dark and morbid, or I'm going to go hyper and hospitalised. And I thought this is just not worth it. Whatever, whatever the opposite of this is, has got to be better than this. Mm. So, in terms of actual changes, I dropped two of those jobs. So, consolidated back to my own work. Let go of a software company that's still thriving and doing really well. And just quit, like just like guys, I'm out. Take all the, all the capital, all the IP. I don't want any of it. I just want to go. Did a similar thing with the charity that I worked for, and then and then started looking. So the three Ds. Yeah, Did pretty much. Yeah, ditch, delay, and delegate. Yeah, and you were one of the delegations as, as well. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so I started working for Gareth around then, which is how we got to know each other. Yeah. He was uh, the ditch bit in particular. You. We got a project together and then you fucked off to India for a six weeks, <laughs> six weeks on an ashram, which was great for me, throwing me in the deep end, genuinely. But so that's part of the looking, I'm assuming, what you're looking for. Yeah, but by that point, I was, I was well advanced. So by that point, I'd left the, the city. I'd yeah. gone and bought a little lifestyle block in the country. Yeah. I'd discovered a yoga that really worked for me and was really, you know, committed to it. And so much so that I was going to go to India and seek out the source but even in the earlier phases so the, the very first summer when i got this because i you know i'm sure we're we're, we're very similar and like i was like how can i how can i do nothing i can't go from 80 hours a week yeah ambitious careerism to nothing yeah and nothing is quite soul destroying for people who've got a propensity for low Something. mood <laughs> you know yeah. So how do I do nothing? So the first thing I did that summer was I bought a $25 ukulele, which I've still got, and Mm. I taught myself ukulele in the summer holidays. Mm. Now, I'm not saying it's life-changing, 
but it gave me something to do that nobody was assessing me on. Yeah. I had no bearing on my income, although I do play now professionally. But, you know, it gave me a thing to focus on and something that I like doing. Like, I love, I love playing music and writing music. So that summer, you know, there's pictures of me. I'm just on a hammock most of the time strumming a ukulele as a way to be occupied without being driven. So during that time, is that voice still there telling you you're a fuck up and you're not pushing through like you should? Oh, gotcha. Yeah. That's there all the time. Oh, now the truth comes out. That's, that's there now. <laughs> <laughs> that voice doesn't go away. Because I find, like, I... So I, I'm often exhausted by life, not not in the same kind of acute way that you guys are describing, but I've felt I have to ration my energy since I was a kid. Mm. And yet I've never figured out how to, even though I know I need to pull back and have time out and relax and all those things, I've never figured out how to do that in a way that doesn't feel like some kind of failure that I have to do it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, and I make light of it, but I, it's, I don't think that ever goes away. Mm. That is the way we were brought up. Mm. You know, we speak English and we think we're lousy pieces of shit. We <laughs> <laughs> need to do more to earn our way to get to heaven. It's, it's, just a, it's just a cultural context we live in. Yeah. Whether you attend to that voice or how much you do. So, I mean, because you say you've, you've never found it. You did have an experience this year that was quite different. Going on retreat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I went on a silent meditation retreat. So I'd be keen to know in that period of time how loud and frequent was the voice telling you that you were a loser for needing to go on a silent meditation retreat. That wasn't very present at all. What I had instead, and the reason why that wasn't present, I think, is because I was surrounded by people doing the same thing. Like it was actually this beautifully nourishing space where like everyone constantly had their blanket with them no matter where they were going so many pillows it's just like this gorgeous little thing of hanging out with a bunch of strangers in essentially their pjs (laughs) for four days like finding different corners of the meditation room to curl up in. it's gorgeous so that bit was sort of quiet for me what became super loud in that space was i realized how much i outsource my judgment to other people yeah I just project onto others that they are judging me for the most minute things. Yeah. Like how loudly I open the door to the meditation room or <laughs> how, how much food I'm taking the, out of the giant stew pot. Yeah. It's just like in the absence of any other distractions, it just, beca- it, was, it just latched onto the tiniest decisions. Yeah. It's so, like it's the same voice. It's just different script. Well, it is, except you could see that it's a projection because you were really quiet. Yeah. So I come back to that. That's why disappointment's not in, in the Ds. Because mm. you don't know if it's disappointing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That person, like, so... so. Yeah, but I suppose for me, yeah. I have to accept, because I have that internal feeling, so I have to accept that I will feel or fear that even if it's not actually true. Yeah, it's like a gateway one. It's like... In order to get to a place of being able to ditch, delegate, and delay, I need, I need first to risk disappointing others. Yeah, but so we came up with a strategy, and it's one that I use myself and still use, you know, because this is like, I, 
there's, there's, there's a tendency in our chats for this to sound like, oh, Gareth had this in the past and now it's all good. Yeah. Like, these are still very much present in my life. I mm. just feel I've got ways of welcoming, you know, welcoming them in and, and making the most of them. Mm. And I've got a couple of quite recent examples. <laughs> but what are the things? So, so say, for example, you've got a thing, work, family or whatever, like an event or an occasion. Our assumption is that if I contact that person and say, I'm not coming, they'll be disappointed. Yeah. Or I'm not doing it, they'll be disappointed. Yeah. Now, you have no idea that person might get that and go, oh, thank God for that. Yeah. Because I couldn't do that day either. Or working on that project is so low on my priority that I would have had to gear up to have done it anyway. So you giving me a month is just solid, perfect gold. Yeah. Like I say, no one ever wants to go to a meeting. So <laughs> where are you with this, Anna? Like, so you've, can't, you've made a lot of efforts to ditch, delegate and delay things. Where are you with this, what Gareth's saying about, I guess it's, you're almost sketching like the, the dream of, of feeling that disappointing others is kind of even none of your business. Is that kind of the, the end? You just no idea. Yeah, you just don't know. How, so where are you with that? Mm. <laughs> I'm doing better at it than I used to. But like I still I just still get caught in like guilt traps mm. of just like random shit. And also because time is such a has such a weird quality at the moment. Yeah. Like you were like it's been 6 months. I was like no way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um so I suppose what I've been thinking about is how lately is like how to give life some more structure because otherwise it feels like this vacuous like soup which is like guilt can just become pervasive in mm. like we've got homeopathic guilt what is that oh, auto yeah, memory yeah. whatever <laughs> um, like, homeopathic guilt I'm it's like just spreading <laughs> Uh, or it's like a goldfish or a carp. It just grows to the size of the vessel. Wow. And because everything is so kind of like amorphous and without edges. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> sort of. It's like a mist. The guilt goldfish. <laughs> yeah. And I think like our routines kind of save us so often, right? Like even if you go to work and phone it in completely you come home and feel like at least because you're not at work anymore you can relax whereas uh, yeah. when you're when you don't have those boundaries and routines like literally it's hard to know what day it is when every day you're meant to be resting yeah so that kind of means it's never the weekend right yeah except yeah days of the week are somewhat illusionary anyway <laughs> You know, it's like, like you've got to figure like a lot of this is a hall of mirrors. Go on. Well, let's, 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 let's focus on yourself, Graham. Uh -oh. So you say, you know, you haven't got this acute experience that, that me and Honor are describing, but you do feel drained and exhausted at times. And, you know, you've shared through Big Feels lots of examples where it's like, I don't want to have a party because I can't run away from a party at my own home. And, you know, how will I manage my energy in that circumstance? Yeah. This is all... A projection of what will people think of me yeah yeah i think i think that's true so, I, so i'll give you a really tangible example though 
So like, so me and, me and Graham have been talking a lot about a project called The Death of Ambition. And it's been coming soon all year. Yeah. <laughs> and April. the actual sum total of content for that project is zero. Yeah. That's how deftly our ambition is. Great name, though. <laughs> Great name. So yesterday I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to be on a plane for four hours coming over from New Zealand. I'm going to write the first the first bit of the death of ambition and then I'll get to Melbourne and I can show it to Graham and we can spiral from and off we go and it'll be great <laughs> and then I got to the airport and I had a burger with cheese oh no okay so one of the things I definitely did I did the whole diet thing gluten dairy free religiously for several years a little more flexibility now but I know if I eat bread and cheese there'll be a period of time where basically I'm in this sort of half asleep monged state where I just drool and dribble. The death of digestion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I got on the plane and basically sort of dribbled on the passenger next to me for about three hours <laughs> while sort of loosely watching TV. <laughs> and as I, as I descended into this sort of coma, this food coma, I was like, oh, I had this plan to write this thing so that Graham could then have this thing, that, you know, sort of drifting and feeling really bad. And I was like, Maybe Graham doesn't need it at this point. Yeah. Maybe it's really good that I haven't arrived with some more work for him to do, you know. Yeah, I can corroborate that <laughs> wise mind. Yeah. Yeah. So for about three minutes, I felt guilty that I had a burger and couldn't do what I'd planned to do. But in the grand scheme of things, it's probably the best that I didn't because now you'd be like, oh, shit, Gareth's given me this thing. So I should probably now feel bad about not doing something in response. And at the very least, it doesn't fucking matter. Sure. Because even if I was disappointed, do you know what I mean? Like, it, there's, there's sort of layers to this. But, like, A, that was, yeah, that was, I guess the point is it was completely in your head. I could have wasted the whole flight yeah. feeling bad about something that has no consequence ultimately. Yeah. That's, and, what, that's yeah. my job. That's what I'm really good at. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying God put a burger in front of me at the airport, okay? But yeah. the, it might have been divine intervention to save us all from having to do something that we didn't want to do. Yeah, but I am saying the burger was damn good. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's what I'm in, inching towards. And and so one of... <laughs> we talk about these sort of containers in which you can put this stuff. So one of the containers in which to put your sense of being a viable human, as I say, is a routine, is work. That's the sanctioned container. At the moment, my container is I'm telling everyone I'm writing a book. Mm. Now, partly that's because I want to write a book, but partly it's to sort of legitimate the lifestyle I want right now, which is to be doing fuck all. Yeah. Like, I'm spent. I'm fucked. I've had a huge year on top of another huge year, and I need some time off. And so... Writing a book is sort of the the frame that I've chosen to feel like faffing about and reading a bunch of books from the library yeah. is useful. And I'm happy with that. It's like, a, it's like a good container. What's the line you said to me? You sent me a quote. I said, on the days that you write, don't do anything else, especially if you don't write. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm at. And I'm, I'm enjoying that as a, as a, as a more positive frame. Yes, you've got a legitimate story for why you're doing sod all yeah. and, and resting. Yeah. Whereas Do you on... still feel guilty though? Absolutely. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's good. <laughs> There's a whole chapter. I was going to say, because I, I, I 
I feel like I've got a good reason, which is why I'm like not depressed in the normal way that I'm depressed. Yeah. So you've talked about a sense of relief. Yeah. 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 I'm like, whoo, again. Because the content of so many of your deep dives to Doomtown in the past have been, I'm not productive enough. I'm not a useful enough member of society. Yes. Whereas in this version, this is what we're talking about, the, I, the leveling up. <laughs> but I've got a legit reason. Yeah, you're, you're, I've you're, got a note from mummy. Yeah, I exactly. don't have to do sports today. Well, actually, to be real, when I, fi- when I did eventually find a GP who was like, understanding and gave me some explanations and like the next uh the next week I was like I am cured because like that's how potent the sense of (laughs) relief was I was like I have a note it's fine (laughs) yeah 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 so there's an interesting tension there it's like I'm searching for a giving myself permission to pull back a bit you've got given yourself the permission but that doesn't make it any easier (laughs) to have to pull back no because every time i feel a bit better i think that i'm faking it and every time i feel shit i just feel shit (laughs) so feel shit as in like you just feel physically lousy because of the yeah 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 i'm like my life is is like a face mask and like a sleeping mask yeah in bed because one of the things that i really liked about having chronic fatigue is that when it overwhelms you and you're genuinely like you know lifting a finger can't have a shower whatever yeah 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 there's there's a certain element of peace in that yeah 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 because you're literally like well i there's genuinely fuck all I could do. I could possibly make it to the bathroom for a piss. <laughs> but if a nappy was here, I'd be fine. You know, like, and, and so you have to surrender there. You're just like, well, there is nothing else. Well, exactly. Because then you can't feel guilty if you can't do anything. So I think growing that container <laughs> <laughs> outwards and like, oh, well, Okay, so I've run out of steam after 15 minutes, but that's fine because that's just the same as being completely debilitated by it. Mm. You know, and I, I know some people who, you know, whether it's ME or CFS or Adrenal or whatever, like this has been going on for years and yeah. years and years, you know, and sometimes, you know, they, they really rage because it's so unfair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they really feel like they're, they're missing such big parts of life that they want to engage in. Yeah, I've mostly just shelved that conversation with myself. <laughs> yeah. Which I, I, I've been, like, surprisingly good at doing that. I'm usually not good at putting things in a box. Of like, yeah, I'll just put that in a box. I'm just going to put it over there. Yeah, because we have no idea, right? Yeah. I like when, you know, when you do the Doomtown thing of, you know, what we would normally think of as depression and, and all that dark stuff, you feel that's going to be endless as well. Hmm. Yeah, but then I can't put in a box in the same way. Like, I don't know. This is more boxable to me. Yeah. Mm. But I don't know. I feel funny about it being the end of the year. Because I was like, this will be fixed by the end yeah, of the all, year. All be done by Christmas. I was, I was like, this is definitely going to solve itself by Christmas. 
Yeah. <laughs> you did, did you specify a year or just any Christmas? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was your um, out the other side? What did that look like for you, Gary? Uh, I mean, it was it was it was so radical, you know. And and you know, Graham, you, you saw a lot of that change in me. You know, this this is where this is where I really reconnected with some of the long-standing um, issues that had led me to become so exhausted or fatigued or, mm. or burnt out. Yeah. And again, because of my kind of boots and all nature, you know. I left the jobs, I left the city, we downsized, we took a sort of semi-rural lifestyle option. I went off and did all the things. So the thing that really upset me in that hospital ward when I was genuinely thought I was dying and the taking blood tests, it wasn't that I was dying. You know, my mum died when I was quite young, she died quite early. I was like, well, if this is if this is it, this is it. You know, there's not much else I can do. I was just so fucking annoyed that I hadn't done the things that I really wanted to do. Mm. I was like, Jesus, you know, I had all these things that I really wanted to do and now I can't do them. What a, what a fucking idiot. Why have I spent so much time doing all this other bullshit? So it really made me go, right, I'm taking a year and I will do some of those things. That's where my first album came from. That's where my um, interest in yoga, you know, gave myself some space to do all of that. And of course, you know, and this is the game I play with myself. I'm like, oh, I'll do this for a year. And then if I have to, I'll go back to the way it was. Mm. You know, that was nearly 10, yeah. year, 10 years ago now, you know. And it allowed me to really break from a lot of that pressure that we've been talking about. Feeling like a failure if you're not productive. Feeling like you've got to be achieving to be somebody, you know. I don't feel I've achieved any less. Mm. But like I look at my contemporaries 10 years ago, like the guys who are still running the software company, other people who've gone on to become CEOs of organizations and stuff like that. And I think that that wasn't for me. That was just the game. That was the rat race. And there was a lot of grief. That's why it's called the death of ambition. Yeah. Mm. You know, but yeah, that's just grief. <laughs> that's interesting because... Um that's like, <laughs> no, like I'm surprised how much my response hasn't been. I, I want to do blah, and I'm not getting to do it. Yeah, yeah I just don't really. <laughs> that's why I'm like, am I depressed? I'm not usually <laughs> like this. <laughs> well, being kind of zen about the game and the rat race does look a lot like depression. <laughs> so but, but I mean, I'm not fully like that. I think I'm possibly like avoiding it. Because even just, Gareth, when you were talking before about what you were doing when you caught chronic fatigue, I, my immediate response in my head was like, I should be doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm exactly at this point that Gareth is talking about. <laughs> like I'm in my I'm in my thirties. This is the bit where I'm supposed to be, you know, killing it. And part of me is like, I just don't. I, it's so strange to me to not be able to do it and not mind. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I think you're ahead of the curve. Mm. Huh. I think because you, you, you traverse this thing we call mental health really young and early. Like you're an early adopter for all the <laughs> suffering of humanity, you know? 
So by the time, you know, by the time you get into your 40s, you'll have probably ticked every box. It's like, okay, there's nothing left to go at now. <laughs> I have done it all. <laughs> yeah, what's on the spiral, the leveling up? After suicidal, then you level up to chronic fatigue. What's what's the, the higher version? Oh, fuck, I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you when I get there. <laughs> <laughs> so... Note to end on, uh, speaking of meditation retreats, you two are off to one together this weekend. Yes. What's going to happen? I don't know, but I've already called them and requested um, limitless lie-down opportunities for myself. <laughs> I'm worried that this meditation retreat might be too strenuous. And... See, here's the funny thing. Like, you've rang your head to say, I'm, 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 you know, I'm struggling a bit and I need these, these accommodations. I would just fucking lie down. Yeah, but for me, I get so self-conscious. Yeah, but I think... That I know that what I need is just to explain it before yeah. it. But that's that's the benefit of 15 years. Like, I've, I did that. Oh, the, yeah, you know... The first retreats, good. I was like, oh, you do know this and you do know that. and like, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And now I'm just like, this is a retreat. This is a treat for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> I've noticed definitely, like... Because I can't do a lot of stuff that I usually do. How um, much I have to accept things not being done the way I want them done. I don't know why that made me think of it, but just like I'm actually quite controlling. Really? really? <laughs> I, I'd you heard it here first. Right? We, did, we did record that. The fight is over. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, like, so this this retreat came at my instigation. Yeah. So I'm here on a trip to Melbourne and I know, so I now know that I have to have these things in place, you know, and interestingly, like the, the week we're recording this, the newsletter was Graham talking about his annual crash and burn process. So I know this retreat is part of me knowing that I get to this time of the year and I'm exhausted. Yeah. Because because of the way the Southern Hemisphere is organised, this is the end of the calendar year and it's the end of, you know, it's the start of summer and Christmas. Yeah. You package it all together. Mm. It's not quite as intense in the UK. Christmas is just like, great, two weeks where we can eat and drink and then we go back to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I know I have to have these things in place and I was going to this retreat alone. Yeah. If nobody else wanted to come. And maybe next year, you'll book the retreat. The last thing I want to touch on... I think there's this kind of narrative around chronic fatigue that you did it to yourself. Mm. Like you pushed yourself too hard, you broke something. Yeah. And I'm curious if either of you have any thoughts on, on that. <laughs> I distinctly remember Gareth saying something that came across like that to me. <laughs> well, it's your fault. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure you basically <clears throat> said that. <laughs> so we know what Gareth thinks. And... <laughs> I'm, open, I'm open to the idea that that's just what I heard. <laughs> oh, and the guilt tripping. This has now become a mediation <laughs> session. <laughs> I, I, remember, I only remember it because I distinctly started feeling... <laughs> I was like, oh, maybe I, maybe I did. Oh, okay. Uh, your rebuttal. <laughs> it's probably in the wider context of that, you know, we are the sum result of all our choices. And for me, that's, 
that's not a despairing statement. That's a really empowering one. Mm-hmm. You know, like so. So we'll, we'll back off a bit and we'll go with you, Graham, with the sort of you know what you might see as a more regular sort of burnout pattern or you know exhaustion pattern. Yeah. Part of that is that you put yourself in situations that are exhausting. Yeah. You've made choices. Exhausting choices. Yeah. Like there's there's there are simpler choices out there. Yeah, I guess I guess the the bit that people may need to hear if they're in the kicking themselves space is that of course we make those choices. Yeah. And the only oh, yeah. the only way to make different choices is to <laughs> deal with the consequences of the last ones. So for me, it's only this year maybe after multiple years of, of the same pattern of I'll get to September and I'll be fucked and I'll then have three months of doing shit that was on my calendar from before I realized I was fucked. Yeah. Next year when I get to July, I've put a th- reminder in my calendar already saying protect future Graham. <laughs> and that is I'm not going to say yes so easily to, to things even if they're three or four months down the track for, for exactly this reason. Why July? <laughs> Why not January? <laughs> January one, protect future Graham. Like, what what game are you playing with yourself? Because I think there is a difference here. And, you know, we spoke about this in other contexts. There's a difference between this being a period of your life from which you take notice, take action, and reconfigure. And then, like I said, there's people I know who this is their life. This is now decades long mm. of them living this. And I think they've got different challenges. If this is the only bit of fatigue that you get in your life, it's like, hallelujah. If you manage to reconcile it this quickly at this stage and have all those decades left where you never get to the point of burnout, pretty cool, eh? Mm. It's worth six months. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) TBD. (laughs) Hello, Anna. Hello. <laughs> uh, I've just played people the Big Fields Club pod about that we recorded six months ago about chronic fatigue, uh, and the last line is Gareth saying, "If this takes six months to to work through, it's worth it." And you said a very unconvinced, "Yeah." <laughs> that sounds like me. So it's been six months. I just wanted to check in at the end here and ask. How you doing? A lot better. How bad was I in the recording? I think you were lying down when we recorded it. Oh, I'm lying down now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, six months ago, I would have been like sort of in the shit of it, but doing a lot of work to like get out of it. Yeah. I think I'm on my, I'm definitely on my way out of it. I'm just, I'm really tired at the moment. <laughs> I just, I'm so fucking exhausted. But I, I'm, I'm a lot more positive mm. than, yeah. And I actually think that. So one of the things that I think, you know how Gareth, Gareth probably said from memory, like, this will change your life in a great way. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that he, sounds like Gareth. Yeah, he probably said something like that. I feel like one of the really key things that it's, really forced me to do which I was I have been and I still am um bad at is like pretty much anytime there was anything 
remotely like I might disappoint anyone, mm. I would just like be like, well, I'll just wreck myself to solve the problem. Yeah. I'll just stay up all night or I'll just, you know, I'll just put that on my plate mm. instead of inconveniencing people. Mm. The health thing has forced me to have to prioritise and part of that is like getting more comfortable with disappointing people mm. and saying no to stuff. Mm. It's made me realise how much people don't actually give a shit. <laughs> 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 they don't actually care nearly as much as I think that they care. Yeah. And if they do care, they'll get over it. I, this is funny because I'm pretty sure in the recording people have just heard, you do kind of say something like that. Do I? But I feel like you're now living it. Like you've gone from being like, I kind of think people maybe don't care to being like, yeah, I don't care if people care or not. I, I hope that I'm moving to a place where I can think more long term or, or I'm forced to think more long term. Mm. Like, I could do that. But, like, I will fuck myself up. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I suppose it's just, like, management. It's just, like, integrating into your life. But now I have a lot more on my plate than then, so... Well, you've managed to, in the grips, in the depths of chronic fatigue and a pandemic, you've managed to score yourself a jump. That seemed pretty damn unthinkable six months ago. Oh yeah, I didn't think that I didn't think I could do that. And it's still difficult, but like you say, it's kind of forcing you to put into practice stuff that, as Gareth would gloatingly say, is good for you anyway. Yeah, and some of it is like it's a process because, like, before I took this job, I was very open with them. Mm-hmm. About the chronic fatigue. Yeah, I famed it particularly, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I was upfront about it, mm. and I said what I thought that I would need and all those kinds of stuff, mm. which is a luxury. I don't think you can do that in every situation. Well, working from home because we have to is actually kind of useful <laughs> in this context. Uh, yes, and also no, because just like. I'm really getting to a point, I don't know what it is, I, th I think a lot of people are getting to a point where just like, whoa, I'm so exhausted. Um, Pandemic-wise, yeah, rather than fatigue-wise. Yeah, I don't know what it is, I just feel, I just feel like I can't, um, I just can't be rested. <laughs> sure. I think my version of that is, I think most people are realising how tired we all are always all are. Mm. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. I think maybe I need to get out of the house a little bit more. <laughs> like, just, oh like, leave the house sometimes. Good advice for us all. <laughs> all right. Thanks for that. That's all. Thanks.